Welcome to the Air Medical Today podcast. My name is Edward Ero, and I am your host for episode 36 on February 19th, 2021. This podcast is part of the Ero Podcast Network, podcasts that inform by focusing on both the news and the people behind the news. With each episode of Air Medical Today, we explore a specific area of the air medical industry and community through the use of interviews. You can find Air Medical Today on the web at airmedtoday.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The audio podcast is indexed on iTunes and the video version is on YouTube. For additional information about the guests on the podcast, I also provide background data on the Air Medical Today website. If you would like to become a sponsor and or leave feedback, please write to webmaster at airmedtoday.com or call 612-367-6052. Today, I am interviewing Ms. Roxanne Shanks, the CEO of LifeLight Eagle and the Executive Director of the Association of Critical Care Transport in Kansas City, Missouri. Before we get to the interview, I want to go over some feedback from previous episodes and provide some general updates. As I announced in the last episode, Air Medical Today is also a video podcast now. A big thanks to Michael Christensen, the Executive Director of Air Transport for Sanford Health, and Tom Allenstein, the President and CEO of MedFlight of Ohio and MedCare Ambulance for being first and second interviews using this new video format. As always, you can listen to the podcast and now watch it on the new Air Medical Today YouTube channel. The link to the channel is on the Air Medical Today website. If you have not listened to past podcasts, please take the time to do so. There's some really interesting information on how programs are reacting and adapting to the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as handling the stress that this has caused for frontline staff. In the last several podcasts, I have been interviewing the leaders of various aeromedical programs. While there are many similarities, there are some big differences on how these programs are organized and operate. Please tune in to these informative podcasts. I would also like to thank the followers of Air Medical Today on Facebook, LinkedIn, and uh, Twitter. To date, Air Medical Today has 22,380 likes or followers. Thank you very much. It is my pleasure to welcome Roxanne Shanks, the CEO of LifeLight Eagle and the Executive Director of the Association of Air Medical Transport to the podcast today. Roxanne has been in her role at LifeLight Eagle since 2012 and as the leader of ACT since 2014. Prior to LifeLight Eagle and ACT, Roxanne was a service leader with Mosaic Health in St. Joseph, Missouri. Well, good. Welcome to the podcast, Roxanne. It's uh, really great to have you here and nice to connect with you again. Thank you, Edward. Thanks for having me. It's good to connect with you also. Yeah. Well, I, how I like to start these, I, you know, my thing is always the news. We want to talk about um, Life Light Eagle, but I also like to, to talk about uh, the people uh, behind the news and some of your background so people understand uh, how you got into the position you're at. And uh, thanks for sharing uh, your CV, CV and bio information. Um, like I say, every time I do this, I learn things about people that I never knew about. So, I'm sure. um, so um, you started your career as a respiratory therapist in 1988. Uh, your undergraduate degree was actually in chemistry in 1992. How did you choose respiratory uh, care? And was that your original plan? Well, my original plan was actually a pre-med. And I had to yeah. laugh. I think your last podcast, uh, Tom Allenstein had the exact same. Path. Yes, so, yes, yes. Um, I was pre-med at St. Louis University and did actually graduated my chemistry degree and 
after pursuing that degree and challenging degree, I decided I did not want to spend another eight to 12 years in school. So <laughs> during the time I was in college, I was doing respiratory therapy at the hospital on breaks in summer. And I still wanted to do healthcare some form. So that was just a natural path for me. So I went back and did my degree in respiratory and then evolved from there. So that was kind of my path forward. How, how did you uh, choose uh, your undergraduate school, St. Louis? They had an incredible medical school. And so that was kind of where I did my research from. And I wanted to move away from home, go experience a new city. And a, I, I lived in a very rural area. And so that was kind of my path. So, oh, great. Yeah. Excellent. So um, you went back and received an associate's degree in, in respiratory care in, in uh, 1995. Talk about the respiratory care positions you held at Mosaic uh, Life Care. That's formerly Heartland Health. Uh, in St. Joseph, Missouri. Sure. I really started out in the clinical uh, medical floors doing respiratory care, and then eventually moved into the critical care areas. And eventually I was running the bronchoscopy labs. And that's where I started to look into the management side of it. I, I had the fortune of working with a leader at the time who recognized some leadership abilities in me and that I liked big business. And so he kind of took me under his wing and taught me the business side of it. And that's when I ended up ended up being the director of the department eventually when he retired. And that's when I went back and got my MBA in management. So, so that's how you started in uh, leadership management. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, so you talked about your uh, MBA. Um, the titles there were service leaders. Is that like a vice president? It was. Or? It was a vice yeah. president role. Correct. Yeah. Um, that was uh, when I was at Duke, it was that way too is like assistant administrator, associate administrator. Yes. So think all hospital. organizations have their own names for them. Right. Sure. Hospitals do that. Usually yeah. the VP is more at the corporate level, I think. Right. Um, you, uh, in 2012, you became service leader of clinical services. Now, what was the difference there? Was that a higher level position uh, than the emergency uh, it was. services? Emergency Emergency services encompassed emergency department, ambulance services, and trauma services. And then they added clinical services, which was the lab, radiology, and pharmacy. So I they, see. Really, they really combined two service lines into one and expanded that role. So it really was a promotion, if you look at it in a sense, but it was getting more duties, if you will. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we have more departments for you. <laughs> yes, yes so. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, um, so the, the big move into the air medical services then was in uh, 2012 yes. and you became the executive director of uh, Life Flight Eagle in Kansas City. Um, why the switch uh, from your position at the hospital? Sure. Um, we had undergone a leadership change at Heartland Health. They had our, our longtime CEO had left and a new CEO came in and with any leadership change there, you know, there's always a culture change. And I had seen the culture change shifting and I really was not, um, it wasn't aligned with what I liked in a culture, to be honest with you. And I was thinking, what would my next career change be? And what did that look like? And I had the opportunity to be introduced and work with Jay Fitch from Fitch and Associates in 2005, because we had brought them in to Heartland Health to help assess and run our ambulance service. And so oh. I had been working with Jay for about seven years. And his partner, Christine Zoller, who runs their air medical division, was looking for a full-time CEO at LifeLight Eagle, but she wanted someone with a healthcare background that also understood EMS. And so Jay said, you need to talk to Roxanne. You know, she's got both of those and she is looking for a different career. And so I met with Christine and um, had the, she had the exact same values that Jay did. And I had a lot of respect for them and their company. So I knew it was going to be a good fit and it has been an incredible career change for me. So oh, that's, very, that's very wonderful. Grateful. So that yeah. was, so Jay was the, uh, the connection there. He was. Uh, he yeah. Was. That's great. Yeah. Having, um, you know, uh, uh, full disclosure, I worked, uh, with, uh, Fitch and Associates too, actually on the, yeah. the meds, med serve side. Yeah. Um, yeah. but, uh, got a chance to work both with, uh, Jay and, uh, Chris too. So it's yeah. uh, great, great, Great people. They are. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about Life Flight Eagle then. Sure. Um, the the program actually was the result. It's a consortium. Uh, it was a result of a merger of two programs in Kansas City uh, in 1996. 
Could you talk about the history of the two programs that formed Life Flight Eagle? Sure. Um, the Spirit of Kansas City Life Flight was actually the fifth civilian air medical program in the nation, and it was formed in 1978. And then Research Eagle began in 1985. So the leaders from both of those programs um, concluded that they could better and more effectively serve the communities by working together. So, you know, the hospitals actually engaged Fitch and Associates. They come back into the picture again oh. in 1996. And Christine Zoller actually formed the Life Flight Eagle. She merged those two programs. And then the hospitals who were competing hospitals actually asked Fitch and Associates to manage Life Flight Eagle. So their management company that you mentioned, MedServe Management, has been managing Life Flight Eagle since 1996. Right. So that's right. how the formation occurred. And it's a, it was formed as a nonprofit at the time. And it had four members, which were Research Medical Center, St. Luke's Hospital, Children's Mercy, and St. Joseph Medical Center were the four at the time. Are those still the four? Are there other? They're um, not, actually. Um, not, just a few years later, Research Medical Center was bought out by Health Midwest, I believe, at the time. So they became a for-profit medical center and had to withdraw their membership. Yes, I think I remember that. Yep. And then I believe it was 2016 that St. Joseph's Medical Center was bought by Prime Healthcare, which was a for-profit, and they withdrew their membership. So we now have just two members, which are St. Luke's Hospital and Children's Mercy Hospital. Yeah, yeah. So how, how is Life Flight Eagle governor, governed? Is, I mean, how many board members are there and how are they chosen? We have uh, two board members from each of our member hospitals. They're appointed by their member hospitals mm -hmm. and they're executive level board members. So the CEO and CFO from St. Luke's Hospital sit on our board. And then we have two vice presidents from Children's Mercy that sit on our board. And it just varies, but they may serve on our board for years. It just depends. Our last two board members, um, we had two board members that had served on our board for well over 12 years, I believe. So, um, but these four new board members are fairly new to our board. And then we also have a medical control board and an advisory board. Um, we had created the advisory board several years ago, and that is uh, members from other tertiary hospitals in Kansas City that are not members of Life Flight Eagle, but we still you know, take patients to them. We partner with them on education and different types of things. And so we wanted their involvement and at least input into our organization and wanted them to be aware of our operations and things that were going on with Life Flight Eagles. So that, that involves eight other hospitals in Kansas City that actually, you know, are involved in our organization. If you will. They just don't have voting rights. So, so they, they're a, is it primarily from a clinical standpoint then you're clinical, saying? Clinical and operational. We, we oh, okay. provide them yeah. operational information as well. I see. Yeah. But so who are those members? Are those clinicians though that are sitting? No, they're, they're executives from the hospitals oh, as well. I see. Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that. Yeah. How often does that group meet? That advisory board only meets a couple of times a year. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, really to touch base and keep them updated on what we're working on and those types of things. And, you know, it could meet more often if they have needs or we have things that come up, but it's really just to, to stay in touch with them. So um, how often does your board meet? It only meets three to four times a year, typically. Um, so if we have quarterly. Things, yeah, yeah, correct. And if we have other needs that arise, we can always have additional meetings, but that's typically what we do. I see. Um, the, are you a board member? Myself and Chris. Chris still serves as a president, and we both are board members. We're just non-voting. Non-voting. Okay. Correct. Correct. So um, talk about your uh, senior leadership team. What positions are there, and is LifeLight uh, – totally independent or do you rely on any other services from your consortium members? Sure. Um, I, I'm extremely <clears throat> blessed. I've got a leadership team that is a diverse group of individuals, extremely talented, and they've all worked for us, a lot of them over the years as flight nurses, flight paramedics, but they've been um, moved into leadership roles. We've recruited some from the outside with different backgrounds, such as logistics, marketing, journalism, those types of things. And we have a long tenure of leaders too. Some of them have been with us since the merger of the other programs. And so just very blessed from that standpoint. But we've got a vice president of operations, a vice president of clinical services, we've got a director of business development, director of safety, solely dedicated to our program, a director of government relations. We've got a manager of education, a manager of clinical services. Then we have two base managers. One really oversees operations and facilities. The other one oversees the clinical aspects. 
and then we have um uh let's see let's see if i'm missing anybody director of it that is uh, helps oversee that area as well so we really don't rely on services from our consortium at all we're a freestanding organization from a financial standpoint and leadership and those types of things so it's kind of completely separate then correct or, yeah correct. um uh, how does um, your strategic, oh, I, before I ask that, on your base, is, it, is there base managers too? We have two base managers, but they oversee all of our bases. Oh, that's what I mean. But yeah. is there individuals at each base then too, like no. a base lead? No, okay. there's really not. No. Okay. Um, one of the subjects I'm always interested in is strategic planning. Um, how does that, uh, how do you all do strategic planning at Life Flight Eagle and who all is involved and how often do you update your plan? Sure. It's updated annually and we typically convene in the fall and it, it involves our full leadership team that I just mentioned and also includes two outreach coordinators that we have that really are the pulse of what our uh, customers are doing. <laughs> and it also involves our medical director. So we, we convene once a year. And we, we start out by reviewing, you know, our progress throughout the year from our current plan. And then we do a SWOT analysis. You know, we validate our mission and vision. Is it still what we're about? Um, look at our strategies. Are we still focusing on the same things? And then we work on our initiatives for the next year. And that goes back to the board for approval. And if it's approved, then we communicate it out to the organization. And then every month we have a leadership meeting on Mondays and it is broken up each Monday on one of our different areas. So one Monday it's marketing, business development, another Monday it's clinical, another Monday it's safety and government relations and those types of things. And so each leader in those Monday meetings goes over their strategic initiatives. So they stay in the forefront throughout the year. And you know, what progress are we making? Do we have any obstacles and barriers that we overcome? And so that way we're always continually focusing on the strategic plan and what we're working on throughout the year. So that's, that's kind of how we progress. And that's excellent. I mean, that's the way to, to do it. I mean, I know a lot of organizations, you know, do a strategic plan and put it up on the shelf and never right. do anything with it. And you've got to keep it uh, front and center. And that's, yeah. that's a great way to do it too, where you spending more focused time on each area rather right. than trying to, you know, short brush uh, things. So you can lose sight of it very quickly. Yeah. So, so was the board, uh, I just wanted to make sure, is the board involved in the strategic planning or are they just approving this? They really approve it. Okay. Or the so, governance. Okay. So you all, your team is putting together the plan and Correct. what it should be. Got you. Correct. Is your uh, medical directors involved? With she that? is. Our medical director is involved in that. Correct. Okay. And, um, Talk about your medical direction. Is there one medical director? Or do you have uh, others that are involved? We have one medical director in the medical control board, which consists of four other physicians. And it's two from each of our member hospitals with emphasis in critical care and emergency medicine from both. Okay. Yeah. Um, I noticed on your website, a lot of organizations have, you know, their values. Um, uh, Life Light Eagle has five key principles. What what are those and how yeah. did you come up with those? Uh, you know, it's really just kind of what drives everything that we do. And is, safety is at the core, as many programs, you know, everybody talks about safety, but it really is the core of everything we do. And from ensuring safe systems are in place to keep our crews and patients safe, you know, empowering them to speak up, looking at potential risk from everything to investing in the latest safety equipment technology, partnering with our air operator on safety initiatives and training. So it's really, you know, why we invested in a full-time safety director at Life Flight Eagle as well. It's really just making sure everything we do, we're looking at it from a safety aspect. And so that really was why that's one of our key principles. Mm -hmm. And then employee engagement is one of our other ones. You know, our employees are what, what makes Life Flight Eagle able to complete our mission. If Absolutely. we didn't have our employees there, it wouldn't be possible. So you know, we're continually working into how can we communicate with them better and, and engage them in what we're doing and have them actively involved in our committees and helping us make decisions because they're out doing the work and, you know, providing the care that we do. So they're just key to our service and what we, that what we do for our communities. And then customers are the other big piece of that. If our customers weren't requesting our services, we wouldn't be here either and able to do what we do. So that's why we have two people committed to community outreach and 
you know, what are our customers needing from us and are we fulfilling our promises to them? And, and that goes into the next key principle. Do we deliver on our promises? And that just comes down to, do we do what we say we're going to do? And that's being an ethical company. And, you know, if somebody requests a helicopter and we say we're going to be there in 25 minutes, we're there in 25 minutes. You know, if we say this is the type of care we provide, that's the type of care we provide. And that's, that's really what has made uh, us differentiated from other programs. That's, yeah. that's been key to Life Ideal's success. And so it's just a, a major factor. And then that also drives into our public stewardship. We are a nonprofit organization and we're more than just doing patient care. We provide hundreds of hours of community education and support each year to the local agencies, fire hospitals. We attend community events, sponsorships, um, anything we can do to give back to our communities and be engaged in them. And that's, that's really just what drives everything that we do. Mm-hmm. That's great. I, on your, um, you piqued my interest on the outreach coordinator. So are they out in the field most of the time stopping in at uh, referring do. agencies, hospitals? That's exactly what they do. They go oh. to the referring agencies, you know, really just making rounds, if you will, touching base to see if there's any issues or following up on flights or, you know, is there anything else we can do for you? It's really just keeping a pulse on what's going on out there and making sure that there aren't any issues or that we're meeting the needs and, you know, did leadership change out there? Is there different things going on? And it's, that's, that's really the main purpose of it. What is their background? Is it clinical? It is clinical. One of them's a paramedic and one of them's a nurse and they actually still do fly for us as well. I see. So there it's not uh, full-time. Correct. Yeah. They do, but they split it. Yep. Yeah. 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 I asked this because I've been interviewing a lot of the consortium programs and all you're interested in um, whether you're operating uh, with a break-even budget or are you needing to be subsidized by your member hospitals? We are not subsidized by our member hospitals. We never have been. Um, uh, we budget a small net income just as a cushion in case we've got a sure. you know, bad weather year, but we have never been subsidized and never needed to be from our oh. member hospitals. So we've been fortunate. Yeah, that's great. It's, it's, it's varying degrees, you know, uh, out there and how uh, the consortium programs are organized. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about the locations of uh, Life Flight Eagle. I know you have a number of bases and where your headquarters is. We do. And I'll, I'll give you a little history of it as we go through it. Too. I think it helps paint the picture. But our base was originally at the downtown airport in Kansas City when it was formed. And the second base we opened was in 2000. And that was located at the airport in Harrisonville, Missouri. We're still there today. And that's about 40 miles south of Kansas City. And that was really just beginning to, you know, move further out into the communities where the patients were, you know, being in downtown Kansas City really wasn't making a lot of sense because you were just flying out somewhere and bringing the patients back into Kansas City. So it was really starting to evolve and getting your aircraft out into the communities where they were needed. So then our next base that we opened was in 2003, and that was out in Blue Springs, Missouri, which is really out east of Kansas City, about 20 miles. And then later that base moved a little further out, about 15 miles further out on I-70 to Odessa, Missouri. And that base was very interesting. It was actually a gentleman, we flew his father when we were based in Blue Springs and they were landowners out there. And he wanted us to be further out in the rural area in the communities they lived in. And so he built a base there and oh, wow. still is our landlord today at that base. So an incredible gentleman that built that for us. And then in 2005, we located an uh, aircraft at the airport in Trenton, Missouri, which is about 100 miles northeast of Kansas City, up in the northeast part of the state. And unfortunately, that base is in a flood zone. So after about two floods and having to boat people out of that base, oh my gosh. That, that, that town was really not able to find another location for us. So just about 15 miles to the south, the city of Chillicothe offered to build us a new base at the airport there in 2017. And so we relocated there, still able to stay in the communities and serve them just a, just a little further to the south. So that's where we have an aircraft. And in 2007, we put an aircraft at the hospital in Clinton, Missouri. And that was another um, great community effort. The foundation of the hospital there in Clinton helped raise half of the funds for that location. And so we literally have a base sitting just across the parking lot from the emergency department there at that hospital and have been there since um, 2007. Does that and include our, a hangar? It does, all yeah. of these bases include all hangars and yeah. full living quarters. 
And then our final base is still at the downtown airport, and that is dedicated to Children's Mercy. That's where they keep their aircraft that we manage for them. I see. So, so that the children's uh, helicopter is not kept at the hospital. At no, Children. it is at the yeah. downtown airport. Yeah. 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 Uh, so let's let's talk about the aircraft, and if you give give a little history too of the type of aircraft that were used um, uh, over the years, and what you currently operate. Sure. Um, the Spirit of St. Joseph Life Flight, they actually had the Alouette 3s and then transitioned to the AS350s. And Research Medical Center was in a Bell 206 helicopter. And when the, the program was formed, Life Flight Eagle went into the BK-117 twin engine aircraft. And then Life Flight Eagle eventually moved into Bell 407s, but they kept the BK-117 for children's flights. I see. And then eventually we moved the children's aircraft to a dedicated EC-145. So when they ended up needing their own dedicated aircraft, we purchased an EC-145 for them. And Life Flight Eagle had three um, Bell 407s and we eventually upgraded two of those to GXs. And now the children's aircraft, we ended up selling our EC-145 and they have moved into an F-76. So we've got uh, four Bell 407s in our system and an S-76. So we lease one of the 407s and the S-76 from our air operator. We own the other three. So, so the S-76 is leased? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Is that the, the aircraft that they had chosen that they wanted? Yes, it is. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so is there a difference? Does children's, um, do they... So they, again, there's no subsidy and you're paying for the S-76? We have a contract to manage their aircraft. And so okay. children's, children's pays for the services. Yes. Okay. That's and what we I manage thought. it for them. Yeah. Correct. And the right. other bases are all under Life Flight Eagle. Eagle. You're just managing Correct. for the children. Correct. Yes. Correct. Um, they provide the medical team for their aircraft though. And, and what was, how many aircraft do you own then? We own three of them. Three of them. Okay. Yes. Um, your uh, current air operator, I know, is uh, PHI. PHI. Correct. I know uh, that they've not always been your provider. What other um, air operators had you used in the past? Yeah, PHI has been our air operator since 2008. And prior to that, it was uh, CJ Systems. And I believe right about the time we switched, they had been bought out by Air Methods. Right. I remember that. So, yeah. 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 So that was really who, and I'm not. I really couldn't tell you how long they had CJ system. I believe as many years prior to the switch yeah. to PHI. Yeah, I think that was uh, an issue with uh, the independent uh, air methods program in mm -hmm. town, right? The, yeah, the competition. So. Yeah. Um, have, have you ever looked at uh, with owning aircraft, uh, developing your own uh, Part One Thirty Five? Is that something you've looked at, or? You know, it, it's been discussed and evaluated. And I think if we ever saw a need to expand and, you know, add more aircraft and more bases, it would definitely be something we'd need to evaluate again. But it's just not been something um, that we felt was necessary for us at this time. Yep, but, it, it, you know, it comes up, you know, when we evaluate and you expand your services, obviously. So, yeah, I know programs. It, it's funny. There's been some programs that have gone had their part 135 and gone back, you know, gone to an air operator. So it's, uh, it's interesting what you need. Yeah. Um, has Life Flight Eagle ever had uh, a fixed wing? We've service? not had a fixed wing. Um, yeah. And we've looked at that as well. In the Midwest in Kansas City area, it's really not been a high demand on the adult side. Now, Children's Mercy does have a fixed wing and a, and a jet. They do provide quite a bit of um, transport for kids. And then there is a fixed wing service um, based in Kansas that does a lot of the Western part of Kansas and down into Oklahoma in that rural, very rural parts of the state over there. But, you know, Missouri's just, it's just not had a lot of need. We on maybe once or twice a year, we may get a call if, you know, that there's a need for a fixed wing or someone's looking for somebody that does fixed wing. And so it's just not been one of those services that just seems to be necessary where we're located at right now. Mm -hmm. And children's then, uh, they must use a different uh, air operator then for the fixed wing? They actually do not. They contract directly with PHI oh. themselves for their fixed wing and airplane. Oh, I see. So PHI uh, provides yeah. that. Yeah. Interesting. 
Um, well, the, the other big area, and I've been following, you know, other uh, consortium programs too uh, that have gone into uh, critical care ground services. Yeah. Some actually even into more than critical care, but ALS, BLS, and yeah. wheelchair. But um, you've uh, now have two critical care ground uh, ambulances that you put into the service in um, 2018 and 2019, I believe. Yes. Um, why did you start this service? It was really to make sure we were reliable, um, you know, and again, making sure we were being committed to our communities and delivering on our promises because we were unable to fly and during bad weather and yep. our communities, it left them with a gap when those patients really needed critical care. And, you know, our, our crews were still on duty. They were still there and able to provide that service. They just couldn't fly. So we purchased an ambulance and put it in our Southern service area. That was our first one. And so we put it into service when there's predicted bad weather and our same medical crew that's on duty for the aircraft will then go on the ground unit. And then we were approached in our Northern service area actually by Chillicothe Fire Department who provides the EMS service. And they had recognized a need there when we were unable to fly due to weather and ask if we would partner with them. And so they provide the ambulance and the driver I and see. our medical crew goes on the ambulance with them when it's bad weather and we're not able to fly. So your so, so your ground services are strictly when you're down for weather on air. That correct, and that's yeah, okay. right now. But I, you know, yeah. really, it's been a. I think it's something that's going to expand. You know, it's it's really a. I think it's going to be a necessary service as things continue to evolve in critical care transport, and the need is there. So. I, I really believe we're going to see that continue to expand, but it, it's really been a, a much needed service for our areas. Well, I, I like the way you're doing that. And I know in looking, that, looking at that in the past, the, the problem with ground is reimbursement right. usually. And, and uh, when you have full-time programs, it's, it's, it's pretty hard to make that work financially where right. covering for the air, you know, you're providing the service to the patients. And, right. Um, do you still have some issues with getting reimbursed for those transports though? Yes, there's, you know, there's no charge typically for critical care. The highest you can bill is specialty, specialty care. Yeah. And some of them are really going to only be classified as an ALS trip. And so um, yeah. there's, you're not going to make a bunch of money off of it. That's for sure. But yeah. still the right thing to do for the patients because that's the level of care they need. And that's really been our focus all along is, you know, what's the right thing for the patients. And if that's the level of care they need um, in some of our rural communities, that's the, that's the, it isn't available any other way except by our medical team. So. So how, how do you make that? Um, this was quandary. I always wondered about too, is how, how you make the decision, you know, cause whether, you know um, you know, I'm originally from Michigan. We used to say, you know, wait five minutes. Right. Minnesota has probably every state has that. Maybe not Texas right now, but um, what? Um, how, how do you make the decision like, oh, we need to go by ground and then perhaps miss two or three flights because right. you're, you know, on the ground? Well, we try to predict best we can. Um, yeah. You know, we look out 24 hours in advance, 48 hours in advance. And if we see forecasted weather that we believe is going to prohibit us from flying, we will activate the unit. We have drivers that are on call. Yeah. And, you know, we may cancel it if the weather doesn't forecast, you know, end up being what it's supposed to be. And we typically try to look if it's going to be forecasted weather for longer than six hours. You know, if it looks like it's only going to be weather for a couple of hours, we don't activate the unit because you're, if you take a ground trip, it's going to take you probably four to six hours just to turn it around. Yep. And again, you could be flyable by then. So that's really kind of how we've set some of the parameters in place. And you, you predict the best you can. And as yeah. you said, weather is not always predictable, but right. um, that's just how we've tried to do it. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah one of the questions I had, because uh, I didn't realize how you were doing the ground is, you know, is it the same clinical capability? So you've got, it basically it's the same staff. So uh, you're doing all the same types of transports then too. We are, correct. Talk, talk about that. Talk about your clinical staff, um, what, mix you have and then also sure. their capabilities the types of transports you're doing any specialty equipment or specialty teams that you might yeah. use well, we've been CAMES accredited since 2001 and you know it's always been our goal to exceed in any of the standards that we've had in place 
And our clinical teams, they're trained for adult and pediatric scene and interfacility transport. And then they do pediatric scene transports. Children's Mercy handles most of the interfacility pediatric, and then they do all the neonatal. So our teams don't do neonatal transports. The specialty uh, is handled by Children's Mercy on that side. And then our medical teams are all required to have five years of experience, either in an ER, critical care, or a busy ALS uh, unit before they ever even apply for Life Flight Eagle. So we've kind of set that higher standard as well before they even come to work for us. And then within two years of hire, we require them to have their advanced certifications for flight RN, flight paramedic certifications, and those types of things. But they can do, you know, any diagnosis, all scopes of care. Um, we do not do any type of ECMO or those types of things. And that's really the limitations of our aircraft, to be honest with you. Um, you know, the, the cabin size and those types of things. Mm-hmm. We could move into that into our ground units if we start doing more of the ground type of transports. And that's something that we continually evaluate also. Have you had a lot of um, demand for that? Seems like that's we going up. We do get up. more and more yeah. requests for that. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Is that a limitation of the 407? It, it's a ch- it would be a challenge to get the, that equipment in there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, I, I, it's a challenge. It would be a yeah. challenge to put some of that equipment in that aircraft. Yeah. Um. Any other, uh, any specialty teams that get on the aircraft no, with you? No, so, no. and then on the Children's uh, Mercy, they have their own team, correct? They is do. that, is that they a uh, RN respiratory? Theirs is an RN, a paramedic and a respiratory therapist, correct? I see. So, so me. they- no, an RN, a respiratory therapist and an EMT, I apologize. EMT, okay. Yes, yes. And do they- uh, Life Flight Eagle doesn't provide any of the staff for that, no. even for, for backup. No. W- what happens when children's aircraft is down? Do you provide backup then? We do not because they have a fixed wing, a jet, and multiple ground units. I see. So they have their own multi-mode system that provides all their own coverage. So they can go by ground? Okay. Correct. Correct. Um, so how many total employees do you have and, um, and how many of, are provided by PHI? We have uh, 64 Life Flight Eagle that are medical team and communication specialists. Mm-hmm. And then PHI provides 33 for the pilots and mechanics. So, you know, it's a little over a hundred, about a hundred total yep. between the two of them. And we staff with our nurses and paramedics is what our medical team makeup are. You had uh, mentioned under your community stewardship services uh, um, earlier, you're calling it outreach. Um, talk a little bit more specifically on what type of education you're offering, you know, the fire departments, EMS agencies and, yeah. and hospitals. You know, it, it's, it's a broad gamut of classes, but it, it really, we've seen it expand so much over the years as education funding has been cut, I think, in a lot of areas and just the ability for them to go get education, whether it be they can't travel to it or they don't have the time. And so we've provided on average about 48 American Heart Association classes each year, 25 to 30 specialty classes, whether that be around airway management, ventilator management, sepsis, time critical diagnosis, um, mock drills that we do with the hospitals, the time critical diagnosis classes. What what type of mock drills? Those will be like the stroke STEMI patients. Okay. We'll actually do those with the rural hospitals, you know, to make sure we're getting the timing correctly to get them to the receiving facilities. I see. Um, we do about 35 safety and landing zone type trainings with the different agencies and the hospitals throughout the year. Participate in anywhere from 45 to 50 different health fairs, events, community speaking engagements, and those types of things throughout the years. And then we launched a philanthropy campaign a couple of years ago to raise funds to eventually be able to have a mobile simulation lab that we're able to actually take out into the communities so we can just take that more advanced education and training into the rural areas that they're not able to get themselves. So anything nice. we can do to help nice. provide education to them and you know, so they're able to provide a higher level of care to their communities is really what our ultimate goal yeah. is. And I'm sure that's much, much appreciated. Uh, it is. It is. And is that your clinical staff then that's doing a lot of the teaching? 
It is all, yes, it is. Yeah. Um, I noticed you have a membership program. Uh, If you could talk about that program and does that cover both air and ground? Sure. It Uh, does cover both air and ground. And, and really it was driven out of this uh, aspect of we're in a rural area where there are a lot of patients may not have insurance or they don't have um, coverage that'll coverage an entire bill they have high deductibles or co-pays. So we're looking at a way to help our communities again, if they have to be flown, how do we help offset some of that for them? So the membership program was put into place, I want to say 2005 timeframe. And at the same time, we also started looking at how can we be um, getting provider agreements with insurance companies. So it's kind of a two-pronged approach in the network agreements. But the membership program costs $59 a year for a household. So it covers anyone that lives in the household. And if they're flown, we bill any insurance they have and we accept whatever payment we get and then we write off the rest of it. So there's no balance bill. They don't have any copay deductibles or any kind of cost. And if they don't have insurance at all, the entire bill's written off. They're, they never receive a bill at all. And so it's just been a phenomenal thing for our rural communities. The testimonials from patients, it's life-changing for them if they have to be flown and not receive any out-of-pocket expenses yes. for them. Mm-hmm. You know, and even Medicare patients, I know there's a a debate about whether Medicaid patients need it, but a lot of these patients are Medicare Part B. They have no other supplemental and they're going to have a 20% copay. A 20% copay on an air medical flight, it's it's not an inexpensive charge. Um, You know, it's a few thousand dollars and a lot of them don't have a few thousand dollars to come up with. So it, it saves them that expense. $59 is much more reasonable for them. And then we were also very fortunate to be able to get, um, a network agreement with Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Kansas City well over 20 years ago. We've probably got one of the longest standing network agreements that's out there for air medical. And they were our, we targeted them initially because they are one of our, um, they covered one of our largest insured populations that we flew. And since that time, we've secured four network agreements with insurance companies. And so we've done anything we can do to try to offset balance billing, you know, which is a big debate in the industry right now. And yes. so yes. between our membership program and our network agreements, we've really narrowed that down and limited um, any balance billing that would a- occur from our program. And so it, it's really important to us to try to continue that efforts. So. so you actually, I know some membership programs will not sell the membership if they don't have insurance. So you would actually sell a, a member to someone that doesn't have insurance at Absolutely. all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The only ones we will not sell it to is Medicaid patients. Right. Because there is no need, you know, they don't yeah. have out-of-pocket expenses. So it's it's exactly. actually not legal to sell them to Medicaid patients. You shouldn't. Right. So, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, does uh, the program, is there a reciprocal agreement with other programs There's on your not membership? A- there's not, and that's a state issue. Um, every uh-huh. state different regulates that. The state of Missouri actually does not allow reciprocity. I see. And we wish they did um, because it. we have a very large amount of air medical programs in our state, a lot of cross yes. coverage. And it is a challenge for um, community members that buy memberships. And so we tell any people that are buying memberships, if you live in this area, there's another air medical program right here. And it's especially in the Lake of the Ozarks area. We encourage them to buy both memberships because you don't know which air medical program is going to respond. You know, if we're out on a trip, they're going to call the other one and vice versa. Right. So, you know, spend $120 for two of them yeah. and be covered by both because it's, it's really, that's the situation we're in because the state does not allow us to reciprocate each other's programs. What about, what about Kansas? Uh, Kansas does not... I'm not sure if they allow it or not, to be honest with you. And uh-huh. we just don't have that many over there uh, from a cross coverage standpoint. So I see. But you cover, I mean, you. We, cover we the can whole. go into Kansas a little bit in those sections yeah. of Kansas, yes. Yeah. Um, talk about uh, what you're doing on the government relations side on both the federal and state level. Um, do you have your own government relations? staff or people that work on it, or um, you coordinate with your consortium members? Sure. Um, we actually have a full-time director of government relations, and that's Ruby Mayer. Most people know Ruby throughout I the country. I know Ruby. <laughs> Everybody does. Everybody does. Yeah. yeah. Ruby's one of our programs since it was formed, and prior to that, she was at Research Eagles. So right. um, 
which is just a huge asset to us because Ruby is known throughout the state and honestly the nation in air medical industry. So she sits on a lot of our local um, committees and has been involved at the state level in, in roles, in leadership roles. And so she's very actively involved in government relations and what's going on and keeping a pulse on things. And she's also been actively involved in the Association of Critical Care Transport, right. um, you know, and just keeping engaged in those activities. And so at the state level, you know, she, I, I could just name a litany of things she's been involved in, but time critical diagnosis and regulations around those at our state level, um, anything that's come up around balanced billing, when things have come up around those, um, different things come up around membership programs at different times. So Ruby's always keeping a pulse on those things for us and, you know, making sure our medical is represented and at the table. That's the really the biggest piece that she does for us. So we are fortunate around that. And we do engage our consortium um, lobbyists and those types of things from the hospitals when things are going to um, impact them or could, or that we need support. And all of us kind of have a single voice, if you will. So yeah, yeah cause balanced billing, that. yeah, balanced billing really affected the hospitals too. It did, in a correct. Big way. Yeah. yeah. So we do join, join hands, if you will, when we need to on those types of things. So yeah. Do, is, do you think the balanced billing is going to affect the membership programs? I know, um, you know, North Dakota passed a law not to allow membership programs. Do you think that's going to be pressure on that? The way it's written today, it does not appear it will impact the way we're currently functioning with our membership program. Um, there's current legislation in Missouri that's trying to impact legis- or membership programs today and not it's not trying to prevent you from doing it, but wanting them to be regulated as an insurance product. So there's, there's always something going on that's trying to, um, you know, change the way that they function. And, and some of that really just comes down to how you're administering your, your membership programs. You know, are you administering them ethically in the way they should be administered in the first place? And so I think as long as you're doing them the right way, um, I think we should be able to continue to offer them. So that's that's my goal anyway. I know Air Methods has had a big campaign against membership programs. Has that affected you in your area with people asking? Um, Yes, people are asking because of the campaigns going on, but it's not had much of an impact of people not pursuing and continuing to keep their memberships. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, the big thing this past year and now into this year has been COVID-19. Yeah. Um, How is that... uh, impacted your operations and, you know, what extra precautions are you taking uh, with that? And um, how has your transport volume been affected? Our volume was really impacted early on. So, you know, last yeah. March and through probably May, we saw 30, 35% decline in volume. That was really about the period of time when the country shut down. Yeah. And I think, you know, we were fortunate. I know other programs saw a much greater decline in volume. Um, but really when the country opened back up, we saw our volume come right back to normal. So um, we've continued to see our volume stay steady and consistent throughout that time. We have seen our number of COVID transports increase and continue to, you know, as the pandemic increased and things got worse throughout the fall and winter months. But, you know, a lot of extra precautions similar to what other programs throughout the country have had to do. You know, our, our staff have had to wear much greater amount of PPE and ensure their, you know, precautions that they're taking and decontaminations of the aircraft. And um, they treat every patient that they transport as if they have COVID because you don't know. You have to, um, yeah. You have to. And, you know, they have special respirator masks that they wear if they do know they're COVID. And um, it's just, it's really changed how they practice medicine, if you will, and put a lot of extra, um, I don't call it burden because it is just part of what they do, but it, it really is a different, it's a different environment now and a different, um, a lot of different things that they have to do, you know, wearing masks at the base when they're there all day long and um, yeah. just, you know, the, the cost of the supplies and everything that we're having to purchase to do this as well. It's, it's really impacted a lot of things we do, but they've all done a phenomenal job um, this entire year of keeping us in service and, doing what needed to be done. And so very proud of all of them. They just done an outstanding job. Have you had uh, supply issues with some of the. We, we did early on. Um, we've got our base manager, Chuck, that manages our 
supplies just has done an outstanding job. He's, he's on it. Um, he would go to all great lengths to get supplies from where he could get them from. And we were even able to help some of our fellow colleagues out throughout the country and when they couldn't get supplies and things, but it was a challenge. You really had to look through, you know, any vendor that you could get them through, but in the cost, you know, then you were paying out cost a lot of times. So it's gotten better. Um, there's still some things that are, you know, backlogged and things you can't get at times, but he's just done an amazing job in keeping us um, stocked and what we needed to get. So. Yeah. I I think you're, experience uh, from what uh, in talking to other programs, it's very similar that March, April time period flights down, people not knowing what's going to be happening. And then I think with the rural hospitals, not having the ICU capacity uh, that necessitated moving patients, COVID patients into the urban hospitals. So uh, um, that's uh, very similar. And it's, uh, you know, it's, we've always had to use universal precautions, but I think this has really put a, a, a big light on that. Um, and probably, level. yeah, and we'll change that probably now and into the future too, and how we look at that. I agree. Uh, yeah. Um, I know, uh, Life Flight, uh, Eagle is a member of, uh, ACT and we'll mm-hmm. talk about that. In a, yeah. Uh, but are you a member of AIMS too, or had you been a member of AIMS? We had been, but we have not been for several years. Okay. Um, just our staff really weren't, um, you know, big reason we had been a member of AIMS, they were attending AMTC right. education events and the staff really just weren't getting a lot of value out of that over the past several years. They were attending other conferences and finding more value in it. And so we just, we ended our membership several years ago for that mm-hmm. reason. Is, um, but, um, uh, is that something that, you'd reconsider if things changed, uh, with aims. Always, or... always evaluating what's out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, uh, have been on, uh, the executive director now and a, and a board member of ACT since December, 2014, when I yeah. believe that's when Fitch and Associates took over the management contract, Correct. Correct. uh, for, uh, ACT. Um, talk, talk, Talk a little bit about ACT, some of the history, what the association is working on. Um, and uh, full disclosure, I was on the yeah. uh, help, helped out ACT early on, actually, with uh, the website. I think I was worked on and then uh, was a board member, too. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, ACT's a nonprofit uh, patient advocacy association, and it's made up of members that include critical care transport programs throughout the nation and actually one in Canada. And we also have member organizations that provide uh, supplies and equipment and types of things from our in- that support our industry. So whether that be air operators, helicopter manufacturers, um, equipment manufacturers, we have insurance brokers, those types of things on our, um, and other associations are part of our um, association. But our focus is really you know, driven around several different things. One of them is just the critical care highest quality and safety that we can provide. So one of the big things that has been a great thing that I'm proud of is the critical care standards that they created. Um, and I think they're on version two now, I think you'd mentioned as well. Yes. And the, the second version actually included the medical control aspect of it and the quality metrics. And they've been working hand in hand with gamut in, in the metrics and ensuring yes. we've got critical care metrics as part of the gamut database. And now the focus is on benchmarking and not only internally with ACT members, but externally and, and really looking at how we compare and what we can do to help improve upon oh, those great. things. So that's Jeff Stearns is doing great work with that out of Mayo. He's the chair of that and Chuck Hogan from Boston, or excuse me, Life Flight of Maine. So they're doing an incredible job on that project. And then really leadership development has been another huge focus of ACT and we put on two conferences a year. And unfortunately with COVID, we weren't able to do that last year, but our next conference will be in October in San Antonio. And, and that's really been around kind of filling a gap that we felt was there around executive level leadership training and um, bringing in quality speakers and just really providing that education to the executive level leaders and the organizations. And that's been an outstanding um, project. And I feel benefit to our members throughout the years. I think mm-hmm. that's been probably six, seven years now that they've been doing that as well. And then the patient advocacy or just advocacy in general work um, that we do in DC 
and trying to push legislation that brings a standard of care to the industry and a standard of care around quality, safety, uh, cost reporting, just the whole gamut of things. And that really kind of ties back into our critical care standards. So that's, that's a lot of the work that we've been working on in ACT. I see. Um, yeah, I want to take a couple of those. Um, uh, I really thought that the critical care standards I thought were excellent. I know uh, when the, the first volume, I bought up a bunch of extra copies and yeah. gave them out to people because I was uh, thought that they really hit the mark. And it's very interesting what you're saying uh, that you're doing with the second version. So are those not out yet or is... The second they... version is out. It's digital. We didn't reprint yeah, okay, the second okay. version. Because we keep modifying, and so it seemed, you know, not cost-effective to keep printing them when you're modifying them. So yes. they are, it's a digital version. And so yeah. those are updated uh, continuously, then. Correct. Correct. Uh, and but the digital where, version is available on our website for the members. So that's where people can get them. Correct. Can a non-member uh, get those? They can purchase the digital version. Okay. On the website. Yep. Um, the um, when you talk about the the advocacy. Uh, Let's talk specifically on the balanced billing legislation. I know that was a lot and that legislation is now passed and we go into the rulemaking phase. What's uh, ACT's position? ACT is very pleased with the balanced billing legislation. They um, actually had been pushing for everything that was in the legislation that came out and, uh, you know, we're really pleased to see the different things that came out in regards to the quality uh, standards and looking at the different levels of care and cost reporting. And so, you know, now we're looking at to, to the rulemaking and the advisory committee that they're going to be forming to help start setting some of those rules. And so we're pleased to see that there's still a lot of work that has to be done before that right. goes into effect. But I think it's a step in the right direction for our industry, for sure. Yeah. I think the devil's really going to be in the details. Absolutely. Stuff. Yes. Um, is ACT, um, how, do you know how people get a position on the rulemaking? Does ACT have a position? or They have not sent out set. call for nominations for that yet, yeah. but I'm sure it'll be like any of the other ones. You have to submit nominations yep. and they choose at the federal level. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard anything either. Yeah. So um, um, do you see working with uh, AIMS on some of that or, um, on areas that you agree on? or uh, Possibly. You know, we've tried in the past, we've all convened and worked on separate pieces that we've agreed upon. Um, yep. We attempted on the billing um, pieces as well. There's just always seems to be some segments of it that we just don't quite come to consensus on, mm-hmm. but um, absolutely. You know, if there's areas of uh, that we can work together on, I think that's always a, a good thing for our industry. Yeah, I, I do too. As you know, I've always said that even when I was on the act board yeah. that, uh, yeah. And I'm full disclosure on the Ames board now and uh, say the same thing. So uh, um, I guess I hearken back to the days when we were all under uh, one roof. Um, um, uh, In January, uh, 2019, uh, you were named as uh, uh, a partner with Fitch and Associates. Congratulations. So what this, this sounds like even more work. (laughs) (laughs) It, it tends to be, but I had, you know, yeah. I've been already been part of their company with uh, serving in management roles for ACT and Life Flight Eagle. And yeah. so this is just kind of an evolution as a, serving as a partner in the firm and helping with some of the consulting projects and it, with the management side in the main office there in Platte City. So it's just, uh, I look at it as development opportunities and I absolutely love working with all of them. It's just been an yeah. incredible opportunity. So I don't view it as more work. It, it may sound like that, but it's, it's just a great opportunity for me. So I, I relish it. I love doing it. So. Well, you, you absolutely amaze me with uh, the things that um, you do, because I think, you know, just running an association isn't a job and then plus a, a large air medical program and now uh, being well, a part of it without all the people around me. So thank yeah. you. Well, I, I know it's always a team effort for it sure, is. but uh, you have a, you have a lot of hats. Um, so um, the other one that, and I, I think I always sent you emails like one rock saying, where do you find the time to do this <laughs> is all your publications. So uh, talk about some of the things that you've authored. Yeah. Um, Fitch partners with actually EMS one and to publish articles really geared towards EMS leadership. And they also do um, 
fire, the chief concerns for fire service related articles. And so our Fitch leadership team, every year we kind of split up topics that we're experts in or have, you know, knowledge in. We write articles. So that's kind of our, our goals every year. We at least, I at least write one Jay and some of them write a lot more articles than I do. So, you know, that's more of their expertise, but I've written several just around things that I have um, passion about, or just things I've written one on membership and um, nonprofit organizations and um, critical EMS leadership traits, just varying different things over the years that I felt like I could at least add some, you know, depth or knowledge to from my experiences. So no, I remember uh, doing that. How, how can people get a hold of those? I was searching for them. Is it on the Fitch site or is it? Um, I, they are. I, they are on the Fitch site, I believe, as well. But EMS one also keeps them in their leadership site of that also. And I so, can get you that information specifically where they're at on there. I just don't have it off the top of my head. If you could send me the link, I'll put it. I in will. The, I'll put it in the show notes sure uh, so people because. Sure I think people should take a, a look at those. I yeah. was always. Um, but they do archive them all. So they're all there. I was just, you know, because there were, there were great articles that I'm, but I'm like shaking my head. Like, how do you have the time to be doing this? So uh, that's, that's fantastic. So let's um, move a little bit more on the personal side. I know that yeah. you were uh, recently uh, married within the last year. Congratulations on you. that. And it was fun, been fun following you on Facebook. So who's the uh, lucky man and how did you guys meet? Yeah, I married Scott Peak, and we've actually known each other most of our lives. Um, We grew up together, um, went to to school together, um, grew up in church together. So our families have known each other most of our lives. We just met, married other people out of high school and then ended up running into each other several years ago and ended up uh, started dating and ended up getting married. So oh, you know, that's, kind of came that's back fantastic. together, if you will. So, that's yeah. fantastic. So you yeah. didn't date, you didn't date in high school. No, no, we're yeah. just good friends. So, good yeah. friends. Yeah. 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 How big was your yeah. high school? Um, about 500 people, maybe. Yeah. No, yeah. more than that. A couple hundred each class, maybe 800. Probably yeah. 800. Okay. Yeah. And you, you grew up in what town? Uh, Savannah, Missouri. So it's about an hour North of Kansas city. I see. And I so is that, that that's area. right near St. Joe then? Or? It is just north yeah. of St. Joe. Yes. So, yeah. And um, you have children, right? From prior marriage. Yeah. Yes. I have my, I have a son, Brett, who will be 21 in about a month and he is finishing up nursing school. He will, oh. he will graduate with his BSN in December. Excellent. So yeah. So that's exciting. And then I now have three stepchildren. One of them is 23. Yeah. And Jessica is, uh, she has a marketing degree and works in Kansas City with a large radio network. And Connor is a senior in high school. And so he'll be going off to college. And then Logan is our eight-year-old little spitfire who is <laughs> young or exhausted all the time. One, we haven't even looked at it, but <laughs> yes. So we've got the gamut. So Oh, wow. You do. Yeah, yeah. we do. We that, do. That, it's boy. fun. And I said, how do you have time for all that? Yeah, okay, yeah. I, I won't, no more comments. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, makes it uh, fun. So what do, you, what do you guys like to do for fun? Oh, we love to travel. When I have time yeah. to travel outside of work, um, love to travel and go to new places. And then when yeah. we're home, we have a pool and the kids nice. absolutely love to swim. They bring all their friends over. We cook out and just chill by the pool. We absolutely love to do that. So yeah. That's our idea of a good time. Has, has COVID kind of put a damper on some of that? I know oh, travel put a probably. Damper on travel completely. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. Been kind of a bummer. But we spent a lot more time in the pool last year because of COVID. So it yeah. kind of did that. So yeah. we, we love doing projects. So we're always working on something. So it's good. That's great. Um, so uh, anything else that I might have forgotten on the, to ask you on questions from the podcast? Anything about? Not that I can think of. I greatly appreciate you having me today, though, and let me kind of share about my my life and everything that I do and all the great people that are uh, helping run all these organizations with me. So yeah, you've got you've got good uh, teams, and that's you know that's what it takes. But it takes leadership too, and uh, I think you're uh, a great uh, example of 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 providing leadership. And that's why I'd like to do these podcast because I, I you know I, I want people to understand how different programs are organized but also yeah. you know the people behind that and how they've come into being when I started this in 
2009, uh, it was the movement to a lot of people were going over to the for-profit side. And I wanted people to understand where people were coming from, you know, and because we sort of created this divide and I, I'd like people to, you know, understand more that uh, we're a lot more alike than uh, uh, we think. So, so uh, Roxanne, thanks so much. I know you're, I don't know how you had time to even be on this podcast, (laughs) but uh, it took me a few months to get with you. That's true. That's true. (laughs) But uh, I kept after you, but um, so thanks again for being on the podcast. We really uh, appreciate you sharing everything. So I appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Air Medical Today podcast. Please come back again and also subscribe to future shows by visiting the website at airmedtoday.com, iTunes, or on the Air Medical Today YouTube channel. Air Medical Today is also on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can find the links on the website. And remember, if you would like to become a sponsor or provide feedback, please write to webmaster at airmedtoday.com or call 612-367-6052. A very special thanks to Stanley Reeves of Room Tunes for providing his song, Track 5, for use as the theme song for the podcast. You can follow Stan on Facebook at facebook.com slash stanley.reeves.39. Take care and fly safe. Thank you.